glad for his word and I'm glad we can dig in it. Uh, and I want to look at the first five verses tonight. Hopefully my voice holds out. Uh, like I was saying, Monday, Monday it was all swelled up and on fire and everything else, so hopefully it doesn't return that way. <laughs> but first Timothy four verse one, now the spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them, which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word once again tonight. We thank you for bringing us in together. And Lord, I pray as we dig into your word tonight, Lord, help us, uh, teach us, use the spirit to teach us tonight. Lord, to draw us close to you, help us to understand uh, the spiritual warfare that's going on. Help us to understand uh, the false teachers and Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you have given us your truth. Lord, you've warned us about these things. Lord, help us to take heed to the warning, draw closer to you. Uh, and Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name and amen. So in the previous chapter, in chapter three, you know, that's the chapter where uh, in First Timothy, it talks about the qualifications for bishops or pastors and then also the ones for deacons. Uh, and then I like the last verse uh, of chapter three, and we're so close to it, you might as well look at it. It says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, and believed on in the world, received up into glory. And what a powerful, just one verse summary uh, of what Jesus did. And here's the thing. He's never, you look at that verse, this world's never been the same since Jesus came into the flesh, since he died died for our sins, rose, uh, died on the cross, rose from the dead on the third day, also that way we could be justified. Amen. That's what uh, is, is it his uh, death and our place on the cross. Uh, and then that gospel, that message uh, preached all over the world, including the Gentiles, believed on all over the world, and he returned to heaven to prepare a place for us. I think of that verse, and I think, what a blessing. Uh, but it starts out without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness, and the mystery of, of it is why why would he do it? You know, I still can't answer that question myself. Why he would, uh, I know the Bible says he loves us, but how could he love us that much to do uh, that? And then, you know, some people ask questions like, well, how did he do it? You know, how the virgin birth and things. We don't have all of the answers that we want. And then some will just say things like, well, did he really raise from the dead? You know, is he really in heaven? Uh, you know, is he really alive? And, and here's the thing. Uh, some of these answers, yes, I can give you what the Bible says, but it takes faith. It takes faith for all of that to believe the whole thing. Uh, it's the answer. But like I said, we're not going to focus on that verse, but if we're that close to it, we might as well read it. It's such a blessing. But in chapter four, 
You've heard me uh, use these probably the, at least the first two verses uh, multiple times in different messages, but I just want to kind of look at this little passage together. Uh, but it says in verse 1, Now the Spirit, this is the Holy Spirit, speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Uh, and here's the thing. We could ask and we could, people will try to guess, when, when are the latter times? When is that time? And, and we could get up and guess and I could try to, uh, you know, give you a date or something like that. But really, uh, we don't have to guess because the Bible says right after that, the latter times, it gives us three things that will come in the latter times. The first thing is some shall depart from the faith. You will see an increase and those people, the fancy word is apostasy. They'll walk away from the faith. They'll depart from the faith. They'll give it up. They'll replace it. They'll replace the truth of the Bible. They'll replace the gospel of Jesus Christ with something else. And you've heard me say it. The, the phrase I'm hearing now is people say, I'm deconstructing my faith. And all that is is just a fancy way of saying I'm walking away from the true faith. And I'm replacing it with a faith that I've made up or a faith that's been given to me or something else. I'm here to tell you that the longer time goes on, I believe we will see more and more people walk away from the faith because as this world uh, is going in the wrong direction, it is pulling, unfortunately, Christians away with it. And uh, and that's the thing. It's not, uh, as a Christian, we are not to be walking away, but some do. That's what it says right there. Some shall, it will happen, depart from the faith in the latter days. And here's why. Part of it, giving heed to seducing spirits. There are those fallen angels. They rebelled against God. They followed Satan. And their goal, uh, some of them, their goal is merely to deceive men and women, to entice them away from the truth. So when you talk about uh, uh, this and you try to think about it, you're thinking, Mike, are you are you sure this is what it's talking about? Well, we have a direct example of the leader of the fallen angels doing it. You go back to Genesis chapter 3, you've got Satan there as a serpent in the Garden of Eden, and he tells Eve in verse 4, ye shall not surely die. He is saying, he is going right against what God had told her. He's going, giving her the opposite. And then in verse 5, uh, he says, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. He's saying he took that truth that God had given to Adam and Eve that they should they could eat of any of the trees of the garden except for one, and he turned it to saying God is a liar. He he tried he convinced Eve that God was a liar, but not only that, if you in verse five, when she's look your eyes will be open, you shall be as God, knowing good and evil. Uh, what she did after he said that in verse six. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband with her and he did eat. What Satan got Eve to do was drop God's word just for a minute and then look at it and think about it. And when she looked at it and thought about it, she saw something she liked and she thought it would be good. And that's what she did. 
That when it says, when it talks about giving heed to seducing spirits, I think sometimes we overcomplicate things, but in Genesis 3, it was that simple. And I believe that there are some that have gone down a path like this that started not with a huge thing, but started with a smaller thing. And they just, what they did was they said, you know what, I know what the Bible says about it, but I'm just going to set aside the Bible for a second. I'm going to look at it. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to meditate on it. I'm going to weigh it in my mind. I'm going to do a survey of what this world thinks. And in the end, I'm going to decide that, you know what, God, I, God's probably not right. I'm just going to go with what feels good. And that is what's happening. But the, behind it is, again, that spiritual warfare. We already started the night with it. Uh, I, I feel like Preston was looking at my notes ahead of time, but it's that spiritual warfare behind the scenes. It's no accident. The devil is trying to pull you men and women, you and I, away from God, away from God's will, away from the truth of the Bible, any which way he can. And the best... He's figured out the best ways to get them as young as possible. That's why it's the anti-life-wise. They don't want them there. Why? Because if they get the truth, the earlier someone learns the truth of God and of God's word, the more powerful it is. Some people don't just one day do this. They first, they give heed to seducing spirits. And then what else? The third thing is and doctrines of devils. They can be lies about God that we saw in Genesis Lies about godliness or righteousness versus sin. Lies about what it takes to be saved. The devil will attack every important part of scripture. Every important. But here's the thing. I, you know, the more I read the Bible, the more I realize that the devil attacks every bit of scripture. Even things where I, I mean, if God said red is the best color there is, the devil would say blue is just because he wants to be opposite. I found that in God's word. Now, I'm not saying that things are, uh, there are doctrines in there that are vitally important that the devil attacks head on over and over again. But even some of the stuff that's more minor, he will attack those things as well. There's no area, I believe, that he hasn't attacked and he attacks it over and over again. One of the things I was thinking about, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, very familiar. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And one of the most dangerous doctrines of devils that I see uh, because of what happens is, is if the devil can get people to believe that the Bible is not enough, he will get you to walk away from the faith. That simple. If he can get you. Now, here's the thing. I Call us radical or whatever you want. I believe that this Bible is enough to get you through your entire life. Amen. Everything. That's why what do, when we, uh, what do we do when we're giving away, we're giving away Bibles, right? When we're up here preaching, we're preaching from the Bible. I'm not getting out my own book. I'm not getting out other books. In fact, I told you the other day, the only book we've been giving away is the one that tells you how to take the Bible and pray with the actual verses of the Bible. That's it. It's just a technique of prayer using the Bible. And then other than that, we are pointing people to the Bible. Why? Because it is sufficient. It is all that we need. That's 
that's what the, the Bible says, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto good works. And here's the thing. If I can say, well, yes, because here's what a lot of groups will do. They'll say, yep, uh, the Bible's good, uh, but also we have another book, right? Another testament, another book. Uh, you know, the founder came out with a book or something like that or, or something extra. And that extra always goes above the Bible. It always trumps the Bible every time. And eventually you start going with other books and you will get yourself in trouble. And I know that's gotten me, uh, you know, I think some even in our own, uh, even in our own group, uh, kind of look at me narrowly for that because I'm not going out and telling you when you have a problem, why don't you go buy this book or go buy that book? Use the one we already have. Amen. Amen. Here's the thing. Uh, what do you hear me doing all the time? I challenge every one of us to get into the Bible, to read it, to study it, to apply it to your life, to hide it in your heart. Why? Because the more it's in your heart, the more it's there, the more you understand it, the harder it will be for you to be shaken or moved by any seducing spirit, any doctrines of devils. You will immediately see it. And what's, because what's the devil wants you to do? He wants you to set it aside for a second Look at it, think about it, something like that. And you will say, no, I've already been warned of this. Amen. God's already told me it's coming. I am not doing it. I'm not trusting my own emotions. I'm not trusting my own logic. I'm not trusting my own heart because all of these things can deceive. I'm trusting in God's word. Amen. And that's what we need to get to. That's verse 1. Verse 2, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Uh, and here's the thing. The people that used to have faith in Jesus but departed, their conscience warned them about this. I believe uh, if you are truly saved uh, and you are battling against you know, thoughts or you're battling against uh, seducing spirit, whatever it is, you're battling against these lies, this deception, I believe that as a true Christian, God will point those things out. But again, it's up to you and I. When God points that out, it's up to you and I to say, you know what? I, he has shown me this is truth. This is a lie. And, and at that point, you've got to choose which way you're going. Because there are people, I believe, that knew the truth, that have decided that, yes, you know, this, I, I, I've stood on the Bible for a while, but you know what? Culture has moved and I'm going to move with culture instead of the Bible. I'm going to say the Bible's outdated. That's a problem, right? And it gets to the point where they can hold their Bible in one hand and walk with culture, and the Bible doesn't even affect them like it used to. Why? God said it would come. Conscience seared with a hot iron. They can live in sin and not even, not even feel bad about it. In fact, they'll live in sin and be mad at anyone that's not living in sin with them. That's what happens. It's so dangerous. Seared conscience, completely ruined, insensitive to false religion. And here's the thing. That means that, you know, and you're saying, well, Mike, is there any hope for them? Not any hope in their own conscience because it's gone. The only hope is in the Holy Spirit. The only hopes in the Lord that can, uh, you know, heal the backslider, get someone to wake up and get out of there. And that's why sin is so dangerous. Sin always has consequences. It is dangerous for our hearts and minds, gets us away from the truth of God. And that's why we need to be rooted and grounded in his word. 
But I kind of wanted to get to this. It's verse 3. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them, which believe and know the truth. Verse 3 is actually giving us, I believe, two examples of false teachers. Now, this isn't every example, but this is two examples that are saying, hey, if you're going to, because what are we doing? He's giving a warning in verses 1 and 2 that, hey, there are going to be people that come along that act like they're of Christ, that act like they're Christians, that act like they're uh, doing the Lord's will and everything else and in, in the name of religion and doing this stuff, uh, but they are false, right? They're, they're seducing, they're following uh, the doctrines of devils, they're departing from the, the true faith and everything else, and he gives two examples, and this is what caught me. I thought, these are the two if you're going to pick two examples, these two, so of course I had to stop and I had to dig deeper into it. But number one, forbidding to marry. So forbidding for people to get married. So there was a group called the Gnostics when at this time, uh, during when this part of the New Testament was written, the Gnostics, they had a lot of different false beliefs. One of the big ones is that they... Uh, basically, the deeper you got into it, the more secrets you would learn, and you would learn more than a newer person, and you'd have special knowledge and everything else. Well, we know with the Bible that the Bible does not have that. I don't. I do not have any secret knowledge, you know, like a secret handshake or anything else. The only if if any one of us has any more knowledge than anyone else is because we've been in this more, and we've had the Holy Spirit teach us more. That's the only thing. It's not hidden. It's right here. But they would, but one of the other things is they rejected marriage. And then I looked back again to Genesis chapter 2, 18. The Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helpmeet for him. So, you know, God created both a man, he created woman, he created them differently, and he designed the first marriage that we see in Genesis chapter 2, and one of the reasons for us is because they needed companionship. He said it. It was not good for man to be alone, uh, and also later on in the Bible, we would learn that that marriage uh, was a picture of the relationship between Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. So we've got an earthly relationship. Uh, that's a picture, not a perfect picture. Uh, not, you know, we're not, you know, we don't have that perfect relationship uh, in any marriage, but it's a picture uh, of that. And you think about it again, like I said before, God created it, God ordained it, God designed it, God put it together. Uh, so the false teachers, he said, there are some false teachers that are going to attack that. They're going to go right after that and say that it's wrong to marry or forbid that people get married. Now, today, you don't see as many as the Gnostics, but what I do see a lot of are, are religious groups that say their leaders can't get married, right? You, you can't hold certain positions and be married or hold the position and later be married. Uh, and, and here's the thing. I think it's pretty simple. It's three words. It says forbidding to marry. And I believe that those... Types should be marked and avoided, but one of the arguments that I saw, uh, just for the heck of it, I went and saw, you know, looked up one of these groups that would forbid uh, certain ones to marry and see what their argument is. I just, for the heck of it, what, why are they saying it's okay, uh, yet this 
phrase right here is pretty clear uh, in First in Timothy. They point back to Paul in First Corinthians chapter 7. We're not going to look at the whole chapter, but I'm going to read a couple verses. 1 and 2 says this, Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Then down in verse 6 of the same chapter, But I speak this by permission and not of commandment, for I would that all men were as I myself, but every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. So here's the thing. He is saying, hey, at the beginning he's saying, hey, uh, it is good for man not to touch a woman. And then what's he saying? Nevertheless, to avoid fornication. He's saying right here, uh, and people get confused. You get down to verse 6, but I speak this by permission mission and not of commandments. See, they take that as almost Paul is giving his opinion right now and you can either take it or leave it. That's not what that is. There's no way that, that in the Bible, because we have no other example of something like that, I believe what he's saying is he's saying, he's, uh, I speak this, verse 7, by permission and not of commandment because what he said before it is good for a man not to touch a woman, nevertheless, but to avoid fornication, he talked about marriage. Well, see, the commandment part is you, we're not to be committing fornication. That's not the option part. That's the commandment part. And now he's speaking by permission. He's saying, hey, I'm not going to command you not to marry. He said, but if you can do it, and by the way, verse 7 says it's a proper gift from God. If you can follow the way that I have, then do that. You see what Paul is, see, they're pointing and saying, hey, Paul is doing it. He is saying, uh, he, he's saying that it's good not, uh, uh, not to be married. But here's the thing. Paul is saying, hey, it's a choice. I speak this by permission. It's a gift of God. And, and, and I didn't write down the other passage, but basically in another passage talking about this, because you can fully dedicate yourself to the Lord, you know, like Paul was doing, but the Bible never requires this. Never. In fact, you go to the, we remember what we talked about in chapter three of first Timothy. Uh, if the man desire the office of a bishop, he desire a good work. If a bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife right there. How in the world are they going to sit there and say, well, uh, the qualifications of a bishop uh, say husband of one wife, and then, uh, you know, you can't be forbidding to marry. Uh, yet Paul said, and then they, they're just taking things that they want. I mean, it's that easy right there. You know, Paul's, Paul's saying, listen, if it's something that you can do, it will be a gift from God. But that gift from God will also prevent you from going down the road of fornication. Because what have we seen? We've seen some of these groups that forbid, and then what happens? They get in trouble, right? Because it's forbidding. It's not something that's a gift of God or anything like that. So that's one of them. But then the other one that caught my eye is commanding to abstain from meats. And it's, again, another example of false teachers saying that certain foods you couldn't eat on, and what have we heard? You know, you can't eat certain foods on certain days, certain foods you have to avoid 
because they're prepared a certain way with certain ingredients or maybe avoiding meat altogether or whatever. Uh, and, and this is not a, a thing where you choose and not a thing where it's your diet, but this is a commandment, right? This is a false teacher coming down and saying, or a false a group of false teachers coming down and saying, you can or can't, you can't eat these things. And, and I, I stopped and I thought about that. And I was thinking, why, again, forbidding to marry and then abstaining from meats, abstaining from certain foods. And I believe one of the things is a lot of these false groups, uh, you see a lot of times the leadership wants to be almost like a dictator over the group. And if I can get you to follow with what you eat, then I can get you to follow other things. And eventually I have control over you and I'm dictating your life. And you realize the Bible never, ever sets up a leadership like that. We are, I am not a lord over the heritage as a pastor. I am not uh, forcing people to do things. I, there is none of that in the Bible. In fact, uh, I can't remember who said it. I heard it the first time, but basically you are the leader of a volunteer army and a truly volunteer one, not, you know, not where you're signing up with a contracted volunteer. I'm talking about where you are here because you want to be here. You're serving because you want to serve, not because I'm forcing you to do anything. And in fact, if I were forcing, it would only be as good as your respect for me or, or whatever fear of me or love of me or whatever. I don't want that. I want you to serve just for the same reason that I serve, because you fear, respect, and love the Lord. Amen. And that's what he's commanded us to do. And, it, and, and if, you know, even you think about, well, even food, well, stop and think about. Maybe even after, after we leave the service, think about how many groups say you can only eat certain types of food or not. And he's saying, hey, watch out even for groups like that. Because if they're even going to do that, they're going to do other things. They're going to pull you away from the truth. And then goes on, verse 4 and 5, For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused, if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. I didn't write it down, but I think it's about Acts chapter 15, if I remember right, somewhere around there in the book of Acts. Remember there were some Gentiles getting saved and then you had some of the Christians that were used to be Jews and they were wanting the Gentiles to eat a certain way and doing and, and that was quickly put stop to you know we're not living that way and here's what God says here's the correct abstaining not from certain foods but he says the only food you should abstain from eating is the food you haven't thanked the Lord for providing that's it that's it Thanking the Lord, because he's the provider of it. And I thought, man, these two things really were a shocking thing. Now, again, these aren't the only things. But the more I thought about those two, the more groups started popping into my head that will lead people down a false path. Isn't that amazing? You would think, because to me, I, I thought, man, if there were things that they were going to pick that they would be something they would stand on and really, really go for. Why would they have picked these two things? But God knows. Yeah. He knows. He knows. And I'm glad that we can follow God's word for the truth. 
I'm glad that we can see he has given us because of his word and because of the warnings and because of the truth and the simplicity of the gospel and, and the fact that his word, we can read the entire thing. We can get into it over and over again. Maybe we don't perfectly understand everything, but we don't need to. But he has given us enough truth in our life where we can spot things that are fake and we can mark and avoid it. And I'm thankful for that because in the latter days, there's going to be some that depart from the faith. I don't want that to be me. And in order to do that, we're not giving heed to seducing spirits. We're giving heed to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And not doctrines of devils, but doctrines from the true word of God. And we'll be all right. We'll be all right. But the warnings are there because some will go the other way.